feel that we've been worked into a lather and, and, and as a community and, and just as individuals and in, uh, the economy and the elections and the football games, <laughs> you know, everything is just, it's just stirring the pot. And, um, and man, what a great thing to say. I mean, I heard it over and over again in the praise songs this morning. No matter what happens, Lord, you are God of all. We, we trust you all the time in the good times and in the bad times. You know, it's funny, too, because sometimes I think we have an easier time trusting God in the bad times than the good times, which is counterintuitive. But, and you might say, well, no, that's not true. My, I have a faith crisis sometimes. But, but you see it because there are these events in people's lives that they run back to God. And the real tragedy is when we're, when the, we're going on the road and it's just beautiful, we just forget about God. One of the worst, maybe one of the, the biggest curses you could have is to be given everything you want. Is there anything you want this morning? Is there anything you really want? It might be the biggest curse to get it. Because you could just forget all about your need for God. Your need for a Savior. We're going to start reading Dwayne's Bible. We were talking about that. But it's, there's something going on with that. I want to spend a few minutes here before we get started. Talk, we were talking about the book of Acts, right? Who is journeying with a family group? And, and um, we're like, well, what, week three, week four? You know, I actually I missed my family group this week. I had an obligation, so I couldn't go. But we're journeying through this text, right? And I sent out an email last week, and I hope you all got that, that, that there's something going on here that we had that, that meal last week. And I feel a little bit like I've got some catching up to do because the material is just racing on. And yet... I don't want to miss some opportunities uh, to, to talk about some things. So I, this is what I thought in my heart. I, I spent a lot of time uh, praying. I'm, not, I'm being sincere. And, and, really, and, and clearly it was time for another stick drawing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's probably been, it's been months and months. And so um, go ahead and pull up. So I decided we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and so I did a little artwork, and if you can pull it up for me. Here. Okay, so this is the way we start. And, uh, and then go ahead and hit the next one. And we're just going to go through here. And so here's God, okay? And then, the, and then the, here's us. It's kind of how that works. And then, oh, there's us, actually. <laughs> See? Good. And, and then there's this big gap going on. This huge, this, you can't get there unless you get um, maybe a mountain. And then hit that next one there. And, and then maybe a guy on the mountain. Right. Okay. And, and this, is what, this is how God revealed himself. That, that some guy would go up a mountain and, and would, would speak to the living God. And then he would come down the mountain and he would tell all the small people what God said. <laughs> okay? So this is kind of the First Testament uh, revelation that God used. And then if we go to the next one, there's this next thing, this guy called Jesus. And we talk about him in here and our hearts burn. I mean, that thing... From the inside out, we love Jesus, and Jesus loves us. There's this weird thing that, that this thing that's talking about being Jesus freaks, you know. It's always funny how these um, negative terms come to be enduring to communities who feel a little persecuted by the term. There's something in Jesus that we can't find anywhere else. And, and when we talk to you, and we talk to our friends, and we talk to our neighbors, we keep saying, Jesus. And we even feel frustrated ourselves sometimes with it. But man, it's true. There's no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. 
And so if we, this is what happened with Jesus, this incarnate word, the, the Logos made flesh came in. And if you hit that next slide, there's us. Okay, good. And then hit the next one. And there he comes. This is Jesus. And see how much closer he is now. He, he kind of came down. He actually came from a, a lowly uh, peasant girl, a, a, a pregnant teenager. Shh, don't tell anybody. And he came down. And you know how I can tell it's Jesus. Um, we saw the video earlier, the, the great preaching at the beginning of the service. God's up to something, folks, today. But you can tell it's Jesus because, hit the next one, he has uh, long hair. That's right. We all know Jesus had long hair. <laughs> and a beard. Yeah. And, and he had a, um, a halo. So it's, oh, there it is. Because clearly, when Jesus walked around, he just glowed. And isn't it funny that, that that's the truth? That he was the very revelation of God to man. He was the very one who came to save the world. There was something in his being that when you were near him, it was just like you were drawn in or repulsed, interestingly enough. But what's funny, I, I say, and I would never, never make a mockery, the long hair and the glow, Judas had to betray Jesus with a kiss. Isn't that interesting? Because somehow, when Jesus was with his friends, like you all are here today, you couldn't tell the difference. The authorities couldn't tell who was the guy we got to kill to stop the movement. Because somehow, they all looked the same. And Judas had to go up and give him a kiss. Say, Rabbi. So maybe you didn't have long hair. I don't know. And then, so this is the revelation that we find in the New Testament. And the whole New Testament narrative starts. And this is where we find ourselves as Christians, walking with Jesus Christ and saying to each other, sincerely, you have to know Jesus Christ to know peace with God. There's nobody on the mountain anymore bringing down messages from the divine because the divine has been to earth. You hear what I'm saying? Are you with me this morning? Amen. Yeah, okay. So he has been here walking among us. And then this is where the book of Acts comes in. In the book of Acts, we have this thing called Holy Spirit. And if you would uh, hit that next one there. Good. And see, here's the Holy. And I hope you see it's getting closer and closer and closer. And the Holy Spirit, and go ahead and put us up there again, because there we are. See, Jesus has gone back to be at the right hand of the Father. Go ahead and hit that next slide for me. And there he is. There we are. And then go ahead. And then the, the Holy Spirit uh, comes down, just like Jesus said. <laughs> You'll notice the Holy Spirit is a person. Not an entity, not a being. You know, the, the, we get, the Greek doesn't help us here because it's, it's hagios pneuma. It's, it's wind, you know. The great, we talked about a couple weeks ago, the great, the, the building, the quake, the, the wind rushing through. It sounded like rushing winds. It looked like tongues of fire divided on each of them, rested on their heads. They started to speak in tongues and all this stuff happens. But it's a person. The Holy Spirit has come, has returned. Just like Jesus said. But the problem with the Holy Spirit and you might be sensing a little bit of it today. You might be sensing a little bit of it today. You might be sensing a little bit of it in your, in your uh, family group. As the Holy Spirit comes down, he doesn't just kind of walk around. doesn't just kind of roll town to town. But the Holy Spirit, go to the next one. He, he just kind of starts to, you know? That's kind of what happens with the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the words that were used in the Bible of a wind, a, a, a violent wind and flames... 
These are things that we can't control. Have you seen the wildfire stuff they're trying? They fight wildfires. They can't. It just jumps. They have these big gaps and just jumps over. It has a mind of its own. And this is the testimony we give about the Holy Spirit. There's something that when the Holy Spirit is involved, see, Matt was saying earlier about outside stuff. And that's like what happens. We try to manifest God's presence. Well, brothers and sisters, we can't manifest the presence of God. But God is already present. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And when God moves, you can't stop it. It's a great story of the acts of the Holy Spirit. And then, go ahead, let's go through the rest of these. Then the Holy Spirit, you see, all of a sudden, everything becomes the same, and it gets crazier, and you start to see that, hey, man, that same God on top of that mountain is the same God in Jesus Christ, the same God, the Holy Spirit, the same God is talking to you right now, this morning, where you sit. It was the God that was speaking to you this morning when you were driving your car here, maybe not having the best day okay? It was the God who was speaking last night when you were trying to get your kids in bed, and maybe you had that beautiful moment with your kids, or maybe you dragged them kicking and screaming, yes? This is the Holy Spirit who's always with you, always present, in relationship with you, but you see Jesus is still there, and the whole thing is the doctrine we call the Trinity. Good? This may not have been the best way to explain it. I'm going to show you a quick video. They'll do a little introduction to the book of Acts. vacation. I'm, I'm always up for some traveling. But, but you know every once in a while when, when your excursions, they go beyond mere vacation. Your route, it has a purpose. You have a, a goal in mind when you depart. These trips are more than a mere vacation. These trips are, are better labeled a journey. Some good friends of mine recently went on a trip. They're married. They're joining the Peace Corps. And they're going to be gone for two years. But before they set sail, they decided they wanted to go on a round trip, cross-country vacation, just to see their friends, to hug their necks, to get some face-to-face -face time. And they're doing it. I mean, they're going from Texas to New York to Pittsburgh and back. And it was a tough decision for them. It was a tight budget. They had to quit their jobs early. But they decided it was important to them. It was something they wanted to do. And so they came through. History is chock full of celebrated journeys. And in Acts, I see another sort of journey beginning. See, it's, it's the church. Here are these guys, and they left their family, and they left fishing, their livelihood, and they drop it off and follow a man, Jesus. And, and while they're following him around, they're learning. They're just taking this guy in, and they think he's amazing, and then he's gone. But before they can lose hope, he's appearing to him after his crucifixion, and he's telling them. He's got something he wants to tell them, and he comes back to the dead, and he says, Wait. Yep, that's, that's what he tells them. That's, that's his great action plan. He tells them to wait. It doesn't seem much of a plan to me. He tells them another one is coming. Says he himself will soon be gone for good, and great things will be done when this one comes as counselor. And then the Spirit does come, and the journey begins. It's the journey of the church. And through the book of Acts, Luke, the author, is detailing the early, the early leg of this church's journey. The book has been called the Acts of the Apostles, but really that's a, that's a total misnomer, that's a total mistake. You see, pretty much two apostles are mentioned, Peter and Paul, but, but what's really being recorded in Acts is the Spirit in these men building the church through amazing ways. I mean, there are things going on. I mean, there are healings, and, and honestly, some crazy things are being told about, but these believers are just growing in number, and their unity is like anything I've ever seen. They're sharing everything they've got. This guy's selling stuff to meet the needs of his other family. And, and this guy's doing the same thing. And they're everywhere. They're eating together. They're discussing things together. And, and the power in that is just apparent. But it's not all roses. 
this great increase in power is met with an increase in opposition. I mean, 3,000, 5,000 people are jumping in with these followers of Christ. And the religious leaders of the day and the political leaders of the day, they're not liking it. They're feeling their power slipping as this thing, whatever you want to call it, this movement is growing. And so this great power is met with great opposition and has documented people being beaten and people even being killed. And well, this thing called the church, it just seems to thrive. Some of these guys even seem to take delight in the way they're being treated. And the journey has begun and the journey has become unstoppable. And sure, it looks a whole lot different, but it's the same journey that we're on today. came from um, someone in a family group just like you. I, I didn't go out. Someone sent me that video and said, hey, I was on a rabbit trail today. Do you know what a rabbit trail? The internet, right, is full of them. Just these little weaving through the sticks and you end up in some place like, how did I get here? <laughs> someone had sent me an email and they said, I got to this video. What do you? And I was just like, wow, how cool is that? Tells us exactly where we are today in the text. It brings us kind of up to speed. And I love what he said, the crazy things that happen, the crazy things that happen. But before we get into the word of God today together, and I hope that you brought your Bibles, but if you didn't, we have them on the, ta- on the, on the chairs for you. You can grab one of those, read along. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the revelation you've already given us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts and minds and ears and eyes to, to see it, to know it, and then to respond to it to not let it slip idly by again, Lord, but to respond to your living word today. Pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly among us, making a mess, <laughs> and just that you would be glorified, that the sacrifice that you made for us would become so evident, and then the accomplishment of your resurrection from the dead, and then the work of your church. Lord, fill this place today with your work. Do your will among us. And, uh, I just pray that we would stand aside and let that happen. And, and Father God, to give us soft hearts and open minds. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. So we're going to actually look at Acts chapter 6 today, but I want to start a little before that, okay? And so if you want to open your Bibles to uh, the book of Acts, Acts 6 is on page 760 in our Bibles in the seats if you don't have your own, and if you have your own, you've got to find it yourself. Um, but we're going to flip back a few pages, and I'm just going to go through real quick because we're, the curriculum, if you're following along in family groups, you're going to notice it's going to start jumping around real erratically. And if, and if you're a, a, a textually driven person, and, and I'll confess that I am, uh, it drives you nuts because you're like, you read what's skipped? And you go, what? We skipped all that? <laughs> and uh, I've had some of the family group leaders that, that are teaching come to me and say, we're going to skip all this good stuff. I, I, so I'm going to say right now, if you're a family group leader and you want to follow a rabbit trail, God bless you. <laughs> follow it. Because God is speaking to us through this text. But I want to go through real quick here and just a few highlights that I wanted to read together with you. And the first one was from last week, and I hope you all studied it in your family group. I missed mine, like I said, so I didn't get to see it. But it's from the second chapter of Acts, uh, verse 42. I'm just going to read this together so we've at least heard the words. It says, They devoted themselves, this is the uh, disciples, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and prayer. You see what's happening? Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. This becomes the fundamental acts of the community of Jesus Christ led by the Holy Spirit. Everyone was filled with awe. It was like children earlier. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That means they held everything in common. And selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That means they were praising God and everyone thought, isn't this cool? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. By the way, some of the family groups have started to share automatically. <laughs> and that's so cool. And they're like, is that okay if we? Absolutely it's okay if you share a meal. It's such a fundamental return to who we were when Jesus Christ first sent the Holy Spirit to us. And so we had that, and I hope you studied that in your family groups this week. I, like I said, I'm kind of longing for it because we missed it. But then after that, you're going to hear a bunch of healing in, in the book of Acts. And I'm just going to read from uh, chapter 3, verse 2. We're just going to hear the text again. This is all going to build up to the context of today's message in, in the curriculum, so I want you to hear it. It says, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So he's a beggar at the gate called Beautiful. If you see a beggar, you've got to wonder if you're at the gate called Beautiful Church. You hear what I'm saying? And when he saw Peter, he asked him for some money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, Look at us. And so the man gave them his full attention, expecting to get something from them. Maybe a dime, maybe a nickel, maybe a quarter, right? And then Peter says this, and this became something that's formative to my own journey, and I hope you hear it. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped the man up, and instantly his feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And look what happens. He jumps up and starts to walk, and then he goes with them to the temple courts. This is where they were going, remember? And all the way, he's walking and jumping and praising God. What an amazing story, because Peter didn't have a nickel in his pocket. Whew. In the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. You see, this heart you have to share Jesus with others, this thing, if you're, a, if you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and you think, I'm here because someone invited me, but man, they're a little weird. It's something in us that we've been healed. We're the guy that's been jumping and praising and running to the temple courts with people we didn't understand a few minutes before, and that's Jesus Christ working in our lives, the name of Jesus, healing us and allowing us to do it. Skipping ahead a little bit, Acts chapter 4. By the way, if you want to read the rest of those stories, I would encourage you on your bulletins that you all get a bulletin this morning. We, we put a lot of stuff in here each week that even if you're not journeying with family groups, you can still do it. And I know family group people were saying to me, I'm a little overwhelmed. Do I have to do? No one's telling you you have to do any of this. It's just options for you to engage. And, and one of the things is to, uh, to read the, the book of Acts chapters 4 through 6, because we're going to skip all of that. And if you want to kind of read the context and be prepared, um, then you're going to have to kind of run through that and get some of the feel for it. Okay, so read the, uh, Acts 3 and 4, and then 4 through 6 uh, in the book of Acts. Next up, and this is what I thought we were talking about today, um, when I, I assumed, I just assumed that the curriculum was going to stop here, and it didn't. And uh, it's at the beginning of chapter 5, but we're going to back up, and we're going to read, um, because we're going to hear this message again from chapter 4, verse 32. Are you with me? 
Chapter 4, verse 32. And I promise we'll get through all this scripture, and then we're going to get to the text today, okay? But it all matters to where we're going. It says, all the believers were one in heart and in mind, right? They were united. And no one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Again, it's reiterating that same message. In case you didn't get it, back in Acts 2, they were serious, okay? They were sharing everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them because from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So these guys were really serious about their faith. And we heard about Barnabas here. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Remember, we talked about Barnabas a few weeks ago, which means son of encouragement. He sold the field that he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's the story that I thought for sure they would not skip. How can you skip this story from the book of Acts? Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he held back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that you, Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Now, you might be thinking like I am, as a good North American citizen, United States citizen, well, it's his right to keep part of the land, right? And Peter says, how could you do that? How could you make a promise to God and then hold back? We sing songs each week, Lord, I'm going to give you everything, and then we hold back that, some of that stuff. And this, up to now, the book of Acts just seems like everything's going swimmingly well. <laughs> you know, there's no hitch in the system. They just can't believe how fast they're growing. Everything's going so well. And then here's this moment where Ananias and Fire, this story is written down for us as a tale of caution. How could you hold back part of the money you received for the land? Did, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So what made you think that doing such a thing, you have not lied to men, here it is, but to God? And this is why we would say to you, don't ever pretend to be sold out to Jesus Christ. Don't ever pretend to, 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 to do external things, to be whitewashed tombs, pretending that we know, we believe. We would much rather you be genuine with where you are because the God of all creation can work with you when you're honest with yourself. Do you hear what I'm saying? Be honest about where you are on your journey. Here's the end of the story. We can't spend time here, but I'd love to. Um, he says, the problem is that you made a promise to God and you've broken it. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Okay? And great fear seized all who heard it. <laughs> I bet. And then, if it happened this morning, can you imagine? <laughs> okay. Uh, it would be bad. Um, about three hours later, his wife came in. They carried off his body, and his wife came in three hours later, not knowing what had happened to her husband. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? And this is like a parent trapping their kid, you know, in a way. And Jesus said, uh, and, and he said, she says, yes, that's the price. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Here, listen to this. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about it. And it goes on to say, not many people wanted to join the church anymore. <laughs> if, if this is the way you have a pledge drive or a member drive, you're in trouble. 
you know. But here's the problem, because you start to think that it's all okay, that we can make all kind of promises. And I tell you, one of the problems we have, brothers and sisters in the church, is there's so many disingenuous people that are leading churches and leading people astray. And how dare they, because they're not lying to men, but to God. This is a terrifying subject if you're a pastor. Terrifying subject. We have to be in tune with God, praying for mercy and grace every day. Lead us. Lead us where you'd have us to go, Lord. Because we don't want to end up a cautionary tale to those who come behind us. And I would, I would down here, this is a death in the family. This is someone that everyone's getting on board, and then someone says, whoa, it's serious. It's serious. And so they still grow. They still continue to grow. And the last one here, Acts chapter 5, verse 34. And just read with me here from verse 34, a little background. When a Pharisee named Gamil a teacher of the law who was honored among all the people stood up and the Sanhedrin ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. They were calling Peter and, and his, his brothers on the carpet for teaching this Jesus stuff. You see, it was a real problem for them. Okay, and this is coming right into today's text. And, and so he stood up and he, said, he ordered the men to be outside and then he addressed the Sanhedrin and he said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis, okay, appeared claiming to be somebody, all right, and about 400 men rallied around him. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Now listen to what this guy says. Therefore, in the present case, this is my advice to you. Leave these men alone. Let them go. <laughs> because if their purpose or activity is of human origin, he says, it will fail. Do you hear that this morning? If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's guaranteed to fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men and you will only find yourselves fighting Theos, God himself. You see, the word of warning here, he comes. He says, be careful, because if these guys are doing human work, it never works. We know this. We see this repeatedly, right? But if it's a work of God, it can't be stopped. And you and I could be blocking the very work of God. That's what he's saying. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in, and they beat them. Okay, and I want to show you these apostles. Somebody, the, the guy in the video says, crazy acts. Um, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus again, and they let him go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering a disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never, listen, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the anointed one. That's what we're telling you here today. 2,000 years later, Nothing can stop the message of Jesus. That's why we're here. Nothing can stop it. And this is what we proclaim, the good news that Jesus is the anointed, the Messiah, the Christ. So here's today's text. You ready to go? Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing... 
the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give them our attention, give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nic Nicanor, Timon, Paraminus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So this becomes something a little different than what we've seen before for the apostles. All the resistance until now had been from the outside. There had been that internal kind of teaching about what was going on, but from, but from the, um, on the inside, they had been kind of running pretty smoothly except for the Ananias and Sapphira, and that was a God thing, you see. They had uh, confronted the living God, and that's the price you pay. And so this is a whole new thing, and uh, we're going to talk a few minutes here about what What's the story about? What's the story about? One of the things that, as I always share with you, I, I don't like to do, is I don't like to make this a list of to-dos. But honestly, this story, probably more than most that I see in the text, clearly states an action plan by the early church. How they handled internal conflict. By the way, I don't know if you noticed your bulletin cover this morning. It's a little, it's a little macabre, isn't that the word? <laughs> it's a little... Uh, but, but, but there was something about the Ananias and Sapphira story that holds true in this story as well. That somehow our behavior as followers of Jesus Christ can render ourselves dead, can render our church dead, but cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will go on somewhere else. That's the way it works. And so I want to go through this, this verse 7 verses here a little slowly and talk about it. And the first thing I'm going to say here is, is the problem. And the problem, the overall problem was conflict within the church. These were all believers. They all believed the same thing. They were all Jews. They were all following this Messiah Jesus. That might seem weird to you. They were still going to the temple courts for praise. They were still part of the community, but they were, this, they were a sect, it was called. They were kind of doing this new teaching about Jesus, which got them beat and thrown out uh, occasionally, as we just read. And the first thing that happens... And, and, and it happens in verse 1. It says, In those days, the number of disciples was increasing, and the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Okay? And I want to talk about that word complained. The word complained there. It's genomai, and I can't even say this, gogusumos. <laughs> genomai gogusumos. And it, it, the complaining word doesn't quite get it. It means there was a grumbling, and it means the grumbling rose. It was like a crescendo. Is that what it's called in musical terms? Where it starts real quiet. And it just, and it comes out, you see. And, and it also means it was a private debate. I can give you an example of what this was. This was a couple of guys in the back of, uh, back of, by the coffee saying, did you know what he did? Did you know? You know what he did? Can you believe what you did? That's the way it starts. And then, and then when that's safe, listen to the lesson today. When, that, when that's safe, then it gets a little louder. You know what he did? Got four or five people. You know what he did? You know what they did? Listen to what they did. And you get in more people and more people. And all of a sudden, you have the audacity and the boldness to stand up and say, you know what you did? You see, it starts like that. It starts real low and quiet. 
I would even say it starts in our heart. Do you hear the war ever in your heart? That grumbling voice that wants to take over? I was listening to something this week, and it was so, so touching to me to hear. We always have a choice in how we respond when that grumbling starts in our heart. We always have a choice in how we respond. So I also want to say here in verse 1, listen to it. Notice when it happens. When does the problem arise? We've heard this church is growing and growing and growing, and it's even had these kind of these things where they've realized this really is the living God we're following, and they've been persecuted from the outside and beaten and rejoicing in the beatings. And then it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, you see, it was still growing. And if you've been around Christians for long, it never ceases to amaze me how we can have something so good and make such a mess of it. Do you know? Because it just grows in this quiet place of grumbling and we just make a disaster. And the tragedy is, if you have eyes to see that God is working, you go, no, God's working. Don't do it. But we can't stop. It's not them. It's us. We can't. It's like the, the scab. We can't quit picking. We just can't stop. And then we open up the whole wound and make a mess of the work of God. This is why we need Jesus and the Holy Spirit all the time. You see what I'm saying? Always with us, always rebuking, always correcting, always disciplining us. This is our prayer. And the only thing I want to say here, again in verse 1, it was between Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. Now that sounds kind of fancy, right? The Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. You know what the, the most significant difference between the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews was? Where they were born and how they talked. The language they spoke... Hebraic or Greek, right? What's this book made up of, right? First Testament Hebraic, second, uh, uh, New Testament is Greek. And where they were born. I was born in Jerusalem. You come from the outside. We're from the outside. You're from Jerusalem. And it's all this kind of stuff, right? It's the most superficial stuff that begins to separate this group out. And, and they, they get this grumbling in their heart. They get this thing that starts them that they can't, they can't let it go. They just keep picking at it. Oh, there's something going on. And the only difference is the place they're born, their language, not what they believe, not who they claim to follow, just their origin, the place where they come from. And then the next thing I want to say here. So they were complaining because why? They were complaining because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, right? Now, I will make light of this because the truth was in this culture, if you were a woman without a husband or sons to care for you, you were out of luck. You were, you, there was no Medicaid and Medicare. There was no hope. There was, no, there was nothing. You were out of luck. You had no representation in the system. So the community had decided we have to take care of these folks. They're part of the family of God. And so this was a big deal. I'm not trying to make light of the fact that the widows were being cared for. Interesting study, by the way, if you want to spend some time looking at what a widow was in the Bible. Sometimes we're pretty broad with it. And they had, they had a pretty narrow view of, of expectations for widows. Um, and it's, it's, Paul writes quite a bit about it, as a matter of fact. So it's an interesting study to look at that. But... They're complaining about the widows being overlooked. And the word overlooked there is parathoreo. Parathoreo, okay. Theroeo, oreo at the end. And it means to observe with, right? It means to compare. It means to neglect, like it says. Being overlooked, it means to neglect. But listen what, in other ways it's translated. It means to look beside. It means to examine side by side. It means that they were holding up a ruler, you know, a measuring stick and looking. Let me see what you're doing for your widows. 
Let me see what you're doing for our widows. You see the language here is already us and them. And they start to do this. They're, they're, and if you listened to it last week when we were here together, Chad talked about this a little bit, didn't he? He said it's death if you start to compare people in the church. He was talking about pastors, right? But I'm talking about everybody. It's the same story. It's, it's death if you start to compare people side by side, laying them down. It's one thing to aspire to someone of your own fruition. It's something else. And you should know this, right? Have you had the experience where someone compares? you to someone else. Now, I bet I can strike a chord here. I wish you were more like your brother. If only you were more like your sister, your father would have never done it that way. Huh? How does that feel? How does that feel? You're in a marriage. You're having a great night. Do you know what so-and-so's husband does? Do you know what I heard he does? Boy, she's great, huh? Boy, look at how she takes care of him. Look at that. Hmm. Man, I wish... I'm not, you're fine. I'm not saying you're not like that. You see what I'm saying? It always hurts. It always stings. And it's always unfair. And it's an affront, not just to the person, but to the living God who has created someone to journey with you. Your children, your father, your friends, your spouse, your coworkers. It happens all the time. We hold up these measuring sticks and we say, well, this is fair. I'm only being fair. I'm not being unfair. But brothers and sisters, I got a word for you this morning. You are uniquely created in the image of God. And no one who tries to jam you in a box is doing justice to the God who created you. And if you are jamming someone in a box, you are an affront to the God who created them. I hope you can hear that this morning. It's a terrifying thing being a parent. It's a terrifying thing being a spouse uniquely created, unimaginable worth, and not of your own, but because of what God says you're worth. The very people that we're, we're created to care for and be with are people who are given to us by God for a time, and we have to know, we have to know that, that they're in our care. And remind our, be reminded the image of God is in this person. The hand of God is in this person. I hope you got a bulletin today. Did you get a bulletin today? One of the things we put on there is a prayer. One of the main ways we, 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 we are transformed is through prayer. And the, prayers, the prayer says, pray for an end to my grumbling heart. Because the sin that comes out so outward with comparing your spouse, your children, to their siblings, or your parents, or the other people, your friends, your coworkers, everything else, it comes out of a deep, dark place in your heart where you're grumbling because you think you know what you're looking at and you don't. And you hold up this measuring stick and then you judge people with it. And brothers and sisters, it's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way that God created us. It's not what we're called to do. And so you might need to spend some time this week praying that God would help you with your grumbling heart. God knows I do. We learn a lesson over and over again. That's what I heard this week. We learn it repeatedly. God, help me with my grumbling heart. Help me see the image, the imagio Dei, image of God in that person. So here it is. What's the solution that the apostles come up with? And I love it. It's an elegant solution. I'm going to give it to you really quick here, right? It's Assess, delegate, empower, proceed, right? 
assess, delegate, empower, proceed. And I've never so clearly seen something come out in this. But here's what they say. They say, it is not right. It would not be right. This is their response. They could have said, Psh, whatever, you know. They could have just blown it off, but they didn't. They paid some attention to it, but they didn't get distracted. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. So this is their solution, right? They said, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them and give them our attention, give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. Now, a minute ago, if we can pull that thing back up, uh, the, the seven that were selected is, is really interesting, right? But one of the questions that I have from the text in this assessing is how often do we fail to do the important because we're too busy doing the urgent? You see, there was this, the apostles were on this journey with God, and God's revealing himself, right? And then someone runs in and says, oh, there's a problem, there's a problem. They give us some attention, but they got somewhere to go, and they know it. And so they appoint, they delegate the work. And isn't that beautiful? We're talking about pressing down. The, 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 because we are called, you are called, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're called to be a witness to the living Christ. You're called to be a disciple maker and disciple yourself. This is what they call us. Look at the seven here, and let's go through right quick the names, right? It says first, Stephen was the first one, and his name means crown. I'm just going to read through it. Like, it's like the, you know, the, 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 the team rally, right? They're going to announce the big players for the field of jogging out, right? And then Stephen's the first one. Now, Stephen's going to be a big story. We're going to hear that next week, right? Um, so he's, but he's filled with faith and the Holy Spirit, right? And this is the qualifications, by the way. And then the next one is Philip, which is Philippos. It means lover of horses. I don't have a good explanation for that one because that's kind of out there. <laughs> he loved horses. <laughs> he probably had one of those like Magic Unicorn shirts or something. <laughs> You know, um, and then let's go on to the next one because that makes me uncomfortable. Um, Prochorus. Prochorus was a leader of the chorus. Do you see the words in there? Prochorus. He led the chorus. And that doesn't mean like the singers. That means the dancers. He led the dance. He was like Lord of the Dance or something. Look at who they're picking out of the crowd. It would be like if you guys, here it is. If you smelt it, you dealt it. Someone's like, oh, we got to fix something around here. And you go, all right, let's pick a few of you to do it. That's what happened. Go on to the next one. Prochorus. Nicanor, right? Nicanor means conquer or victor. This becomes a theme, right? Time and going to the next. Honorable, value-filled. This man was filled with blessings. Paramenas. Paramenas means abiding. That guy earlier said he told him to wait, right? This was a guy who tarried on the Lord. He had wisdom in that way. What? Wisdom in the Spirit to wait on the Lord. And the last one here is Nicholas. And Nicholas means a victor of the people. Go ahead. Two more forward on the slides. Nicholas. Nicholas, and if you remember what they said about Nicholas, what's it say about Nicholas? Here it is. From Antioch, they tell where he's from, a convert to Judaism. So hit the next one. See, Nicholas is the new guy. <laughs> so he's the guy that just got there, and they're like, we're going to pick some people to be in charge, and you're one of them. Huh? Okay. What's cool about Nicholas is um, his word actually means Nike. Nike means victory in Laos of the people. Victory of the people. Hit the next one. You may have heard this name before. In your, in your daily journey. Yo, Nikkei. So from now on, if you want to buy some Nikkeis, you can actually use that. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you can use that to witness to yourself about what your call is. Victor of the people. It's pretty cool, huh? So Nikkei, right? And Nikkei had a slogan. You know what the slogan was? Yeah, just do it. And, uh, and this is what they did. They just did it, right? And so here was their approach. Assess, delegate, empower. And I don't want to miss this part here. Empower the people, right? This is what it says. They presented these men 
to the apostles, right? The crowd picked seven people and presented them to the apostles, and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. And again, we get into some of this stuff that we have to have long conversations about. What does it mean they laid their hands on them? But it means they gave them a charge. They gave them a responsibility, but it also means they grabbed them. They did something physical that, that, that signified this new responsibility laid upon them. I'm not sure how well we do that, church. I'm not sure how well we do that. But this is the way they solved the problem. And then, what did they do? They proceeded. They proceeded. By the way, another touch point off of here, right? Another next step on here is serve someone else this week. This is the Nikkei way. This is the way. If there's a problem, don't grumble about it. Do something about it. Just do it, right? That's what Nikkei did. And he started to serve, right? Nicholas started to serve. And, uh, and he was a new guy in the room, and he stepped right up and started, started doing it. And so it's interesting. You might need to serve someone else this week besides yourself. You might need to serve someone else this week besides yourself. Think about that. The last thing I want to say here, and we're going to close it up, is these men, it says two times in verse 3 and verse 5, they need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then it says again, a man full of faith. And what's interesting about the word fill there, polaris, is it means empty. It means they were hollow men, hollow men. They had nothing inside to offer. If you want to do the work of God, Part of our job is to empty ourselves, which is the hardest thing ever to do, so that God can fill us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Lots of conversation there. I'll let you all have it. But it's interesting because the word literally means to be emptied so you might be able to be filled. You can't be full. You can't be uh, filled if you're full. You know what I'm saying? You can't grab more if you've got a handful of stuff. You know, you can't. No one can give you something if you've got your hands full already. Okay? So you might have to empty yourself a little bit here, folks, to receive the Holy Spirit, and be allowed to become part of the work of God. No charge, right? Um, here it is. The results comes at the very end. The very end. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests, right? Interesting that the word comes up here, became obedient to the faith. What happens after this near miss, this near distraction, this near catastrophe? They just press on, and it says that the number of disciples increased. And the word there is arithmos, mathetes, pleno, sferada. And what's interesting about that is, if you listen to it, it's arithmetic. It means one plus one, right? And then the apostles of the Mathetes, right? We always hear about that. And then um, uh, they increased. But the interesting word that I want to talk about here is, is sporada. Spodra. Spodra. S-P-H-O-D-R-A. And it means violently. <laughs> it means that the growth was so uncontrollable that it exploded. It doesn't mean a few new people showed up to worship. It means the number of disciples just exploded with this delegation of authority and this empowerment that the disciples, by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, was able to grant. And so as I look at all this, I wonder, what, what's the deal? What's the point? And I wonder how many times do we render the faith that we heard earlier of Jesus Christ, which is above reproach, powerless and dead, because of our grumbling hearts and our lack of willingness to just do it, to just be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you.